welcome to episode 17 of From Paper to People, Ancestors Alive Genealogies podcast. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Carolyn Neelachlan, and this week we have a special treat, less of me and more of somebody else. We're going to hear firsthand about one man's journey through over a decade of research that has led him to a new level of self-awareness through folklore, standard research, DNA, a bit of cooking, and understanding of the value of his own strength from his ancestors' trials. Here now is the interview. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a first in From Paper to People. It is an interview. Yes, a promised interview. I said I would do it, and now I'm doing it. And I'm interviewing my friend, Christopher Harris. And I'm going to let you, uh, Christopher, tell everybody how it is that we met, because my memory is not all that good sometimes. And I kind of remember and kind of don't remember how we met. So uh, tell everybody how it was that we met. Sure. Hello, world. Uh, so uh, I met Carolyn through, uh, I believe, uh, it's Random Acts of Genealogical Kindness. It's a group on Facebook where uh, researchers uh, help others who are have experienced brick walls, want to break through their family trees, or might be stumped, or might need uh, some help, you know, reading an illegible <laughs> handwriting from uh, the 19th century. Uh, nonetheless, I met Carolyn uh, through that Facebook group, and uh, we had so much in common. We had energy, and we just bounced off ideas from one another, and, and I knew from that point that you know, we were going to be friends, and uh, the rest, the rest is history. Uh, we've we've been helping each other uh, from time to time, uh, commenting on each other's posts on Facebook. Uh, just a cool, Carolyn's a cool person, and yeah, that's that, that's how we met. And then there was another weird part to it. I wanted to find out whether or not we were related, right? And so we tested. I, I gave you my Jed match number, and I said, "Let's test." Mm-hmm. And we weren't related. And I said, but then there's my cousin Raymond. And why don't you test off my cousin Raymond? And you are related to my cousin Raymond. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's just totally a bizarre (laughs) and cool thing, but it's the way it works. And so you are, in fact, my cousin's cousin. Correct. Yes. So. That's kind of interesting. Um, I was thinking it was a personal connection. I I didn't remember that it was actually through, as I like to call it, Rayo Geek. Um, <laughs> yes, that's what I like to call it because it just makes me laugh. I mean, you know, it just makes it easier, and it's a lot less in the way of syllables to kind of churn out all at once. So, um, so that's kind of cool. Um, so that's really good. So, so tell everybody also who are you. Christopher, what do you do in this world? I know that I've seen that you have shot some amazing urban decay photography, and I know that you um, shoot with those little cameras that fly around in the air and scare people. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So so what do you do? Sure, sure. Uh, So uh, on on my free time, so originally I'm from Gary, Indiana. Uh, Gary, Indiana, like most Rust Belt cities like Detroit and Cleveland, uh, have a lot of urban decay. So uh, on my free time, I like to capture the essence of the city in that aspect. I am also a remote pilot for unmanned aircraft, 
drone pilot. <laughs> so I do own a DJI Phantom 4. Uh, and I definitely take advantage and get some pretty awesome shots uh, of the city with my DJI Phantom 4 Pro. So. It is some really good stuff. And, and I, I really enjoy it because I'm a photographer too. That's something I don't really talk about on the podcast. But mine is definitely uh, from the ground, from five feet six down is where I shoot. And um, I don't even get up on like park benches. I just don't even do it. But I really appreciate your work. So so let's get to sort of where you're coming from. And tell me and everybody else how it is that you got started in genealogy. How old were you when you found that this is something that you were interested in? Sure. Okay. No, so this is this question. Um, it's, it's some, some people may take it as, as funny. Some people may take it, you know, how it, however they pick it up. But uh, to be candid, uh, actually, uh, when I was 17, uh, it was 2006, uh, I was preparing to go to college, you know, was, you know, going out for work and applying for scholarships. And my mother had uh, told me, hey, you know, well, um, my father, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, supposedly uh, be a quarter Native American. And uh, she said, you know, maybe you should research, you know, his family tree. She didn't know much about him uh, because he was not really in her life. Uh, So, I mean, it intrigued me because, you know, I've heard that story from that side of the family before. So I said, you know what? Yeah, let me check that out because maybe, you know, I can be affiliated. We could be affiliated with the tribe. Maybe I can get a scholarship. (laughs) And and nonetheless, uh, I started researching and uh, I just got hooked. I mean, at that moment, you know, just learning about, you know, my grandfather's past, learning about interviewing my other relatives about their past and and their their ancestry and, and, you know, who were their parents and grandparents. And immediately it just kind of hit me like, wow, this is so fascinating because I'm learning about where I truly come from. And I had never really questioned that before. You know, I was just, you know, aimlessly a teenager. Most teenagers don't really get into that uh, type of niche of doing this research, but uh, it really fascinated me because I'm hearing my great grandparents and my grandparents talk about where they come from and their parents. And then I'm online, you know, finding records that uh, matched with what they were telling me, and it just made it all the more fascinating. So, uh, although that's how I initially started my research was uh, proving my grandfather's Native American ancestry, it just opened up Pandora's box for all branches of my tree to learn where I came from and and, and who I am. And did you actually find that you do have Native American ancestry? So, yeah, so I, I did confirm that I had Native American uh, DNA. Um, I was able to connect my mother. She has a match who was uh, Mississippi Choctaw, uh, which wow. is the same region that my grandfather was from. So I, I do believe that there's some validity into the story um, because, I mean, really, the, the match that she had, who was also a card-carrying Choctaw Native American, uh, traced his roots to the same county and region that my grandfather's ancestors were from. Uh, the hard part uh, is actually connecting the dots because his family were, uh, if, although that they were partially Native American, uh, they owned slaves. Um, so uh, 
from what I was told, my grandfather's grandmother was an orphan, and uh, she hadn't known much about her past besides she was Native American, uh, or part Native American. So uh, the that's where the roadblock still is. I can see the clues through DNA uh, that that story is probably true, but I'm still connecting the dots in that aspect on his line. But I found a wealth of information uh, from all the other branches in my tree beyond my grandfather's side. And when you were gathering that folklore initially, did you run up against people being at all resistant to telling you stories uh, or were they willing to talk to you about things? Um, it, there, were, there, there are definitely a few of my relatives that uh, held on to stories that you had to pry you had to pry information out of. I mean, back then, uh, in those times, especially in the South, you know, things that happened in the past, you just didn't talk about. Um, you know, there were there were good things and there were bad things. And uh, it was just customary that, A, you didn't talk about those things in the past. You certainly don't talk about them to people who are younger than you or, you know, younger generations. Uh, so uh, for the most part, I did have family and relatives that, you know, helped me. And then there were uh, a few that, you know, just didn't want to really share much or didn't know much because their elders didn't share information with them. So they had that, that information was lost. Did you ever feel like um, the initial conversations were sort of distant, cold people weren't going to go there, but as you started to do the work and warmed into it, people saw your intent and there was a change of heart or anything? Yeah, I, I mean, essentially when people see that, you know, you're, you're, sin, you're, you're genuine and you're sincere and you're really gen- genuinely trying to learn more about your family or the family as a whole, people, you know, will take time. I mean, sometimes initially when I have the conversations with some relatives, they'd be impatient. Oh, you know, who is this? You know, Oh yeah, I'm I'm your great great um, I mean, I'm I'm your great great nephew. Who whose son are you? Uh, you know, <laughs> and, and it's like you know, um, this is how we're related. You know, how'd you get my number? Oh, well, cousin so and so gave me your number, and you know, I was reaching out to you, and I just wanted to know a little bit more about the family. Oh, okay, I don't know much, and. And so then when you get that resistance, like, oh, I don't know much, then it's like you kind of have to ask the right questions uh, because they do know some nuggets of information that would be helpful to your research. It's just a matter of probing the question or asking the question in several different ways. Um, I often do that with my great, great aunt who's still alive today. She's 95 uh, as of last week. And um, she has a wealth of information, but she can be very stubborn. <laughs> and, and, and she will I mean she will she will cut you down if she's not in the mood <laughs> so you you have to be concise with your question you have to be quick with your question uh but you have to ask it in several ways because I found and received information from her about her parents who were my great great grandparents by asking the same question in different ways and I find that I get more and more information that I hadn't known before in the previous conversation. A, because of age. I mean, you know, some of the conversations and some of the stories that she's heard, you know, was over 70, 80 years ago when she was a child. So 
trying to jog her memory and, and ask the right question that might trigger a new memory that she could share with me, I had to learn how to master, <laughs> master that the art of questioning uh, my relatives, especially elder relatives. It is a kind of a skill set, isn't it? It's something that we have to kind of work at. And for some people, it's a born talent. And that's really great. But for other people, it's definitely something you have to work at. And you kind of have to be, you know, a bit smooth and suave. Because if you're not, um, yeah, you can definitely get doors shut in your face. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, Do you and feel it, like you've done something irretrievable with anybody? Uh, I can't say I've done anything irretrievable. Um, it's just more so patience. You can you can tell the tone in someone's voice when a either very not wanting to have a conversation because they're either busy or they have something to do, or you can just feel that tone. And when I feel that tone, there might be questions that I really desperately want to ask, but I don't ask at that time. You know, I'll, I'll wait and then I'll call them back a couple of weeks or maybe a month or two later and follow up. Um, but I never want to bombard anyone with all the questions that I ever have that I've wanted to know about because it can be overwhelming and then, you know, they may not have the patience to ask or answer all those questions. So you usually get the vibe when someone's really in the mood to share information and, and have that and, and jog their memory and, and their history and what they've known from their ancestors and relatives. So do you take notes? Like, do you, how do you organize your work, I guess, is what I want to ask. Do you keep sure. notes on individual people on, and on the questions that you've asked them? Or how sure. is it that you pour yourself? Yeah. So I'm glad, I'm glad you asked that. So uh, recently, within the last year, um, I began to compile my notes on Google Drive. Um, and, and what I do is I create a folder for a particular ancestor or a particular family line or branch. And what I do is any interviews that I have with relatives, I now try to record them. Um, before, there were conversations that I've had in the past that I wish I had recorded. Um, and now I've gotten into the habit of recording conversations, whether that be at family reunions or whether that just be in conversation. Um, you know, I, I have it in my mindset now, hey, you know, I need to have my recorder in hand <laughs> <laughs> and, and ready to press record any moment's notice so then I can capture those details in the conversation, especially you know, when you're at family gatherings or family reunions, always have the record button ready because you never know at what moment's notice elders start talking about the past and then boom, then they start, oh yeah, do you remember so-and-so, so-and-so was, you know, uh, our, our, our aunt, she moved away to X County, you know, and, and then boom, you're collecting all this information that can help you research more about your family. So I always have my recorder at hand or on my phone, really. So I record all of my uh, interviews with family and conversations with families through my phone, but I upload it to the Google Drive. And then what I do is uh, I learned this technique from a uh, historical uh, genealogist uh, in Tifton County, Tennessee, uh, where my great grandmother is from. Uh, uh, He was more than willing to help us find more information about our family history in the county. And what he did was he simply put a Word document together. Uh, he pieced together the information I shared with him about my great-grandmother my, and then uh, her mother, my great-great-grandmother, when they were born, when they were married, 
just all the general basic information that I knew. And what he did was he almost made a story out of that information. And what he would do is he would research documents based on what I shared with him. And he would, new documents that he would find, he would kind of, he would put that person, you know, into the outline. And then, you know, right, when they were born, when they were married, what children they had. Nice. Uh, and, and, what, and, and basically, you know, he, he built more and more of that story with all of my ancestors beyond my great-great-grandmother to where you can kind of see, you know, the different branches of my tree beyond, you know, I, I've had a bad habit of only being concerned with my direct ancestors as opposed mm-hmm. to tracing, you know, their siblings or their children and then their children's families and so on and so forth. Um, and what he did was he was able to capture that in his outline so you can see the total story and you can know other branches of your tree that might have more information than you do. Oh, um, now see, my listeners know that there's a difference here between these techniques. What you do is treeing, but we would all shake our heads at you and tell you that what you need to do is shrubbing. And that's what that is. You're mm-hmm. talking about the difference between treeing and shrubbing. Shrubbing mm-hmm. can give you some very uh, valid information. It gives you valuable things because absolutely there's a lot of interplay. And, mm-hmm. um, and I'm glad that that's what that particular researcher has been giving you because <laughs> there are all kinds of interesting things going on, like sets of siblings that marry other sets of siblings and cousins that marry around and all different kinds of stuff. And yes. it's really great. So, yeah. you know. So, and, and, and to add to that, one step further um, that I've taken uh, beyond that technique with just gathering sibling information is that I've also been gathering information on, um, I guess, what is it? Um, the fan method, friends, mm-hmm. associates, neighbors. Yeah. Uh, because what I found over time during research now, I can say for 12 years, <laughs> uh, is that honestly, ancestors or a close family that you know I was searching for for years was really right next door or within three to four pages away from my direct ancestors that I had known, you know, all along. And I'd researched for years, and then later I'd have an epiphany and find out the the other members of my family that I was researching for was really one page over or three pages over. (laughs) So really it's important that uh, you study uh, the birth locations um, because, for example, if you have ancestors that were born in Arkansas and then you have... uh, and, and your your uh, great great grandparents say that they were born in Alabama, and their mother and father were born in Alabama. And you know, you research, you know, a page or two, you know, away from your direct ancestors, and you see that everyone is born in Arkansas, Arkansas, or Tennessee, Tennessee. And then you see a cluster of people born in Alabama, maybe a page or two away. I mean, if they have the same last name, that should be you know a dead ringer, but. Uh, but still, it might be worth researching, researching that, you know, that family that has the same birth location as yours, because there, there, there might be something there. Um, and that's what I found time and time again on all branches of my tree is that I've researched so hard in other locations. And really, the people that I was looking for was right under my nose. 
Absolutely. And and that goes to something that I think we'll talk about in a minute um, that is really important in the difference between the way that you and I have to research when we're talking about our own individual families. Um, I am interested in talking for a minute about what you've learned for yourself, about yourself, sure. digging into this work. Because now tell me again mm-hmm. how long this has been for you. Uh, 12 years. 12 since years. Six. Nice. Okay. So 12 years of you now has been invested in this work and, and that's 12 extremely formative years in who you are as an adult. Mm-hmm. What has it changed about the way that you look at yourself, the way that you look at your family structure as a whole and your families as your family members as individuals? Sure. Um, so about myself as a whole, uh, I, I have to throw DNA into the mix, uh, because honestly, before I had taken my ancestry DNA test, uh, it hadn't dawned on me that I did not know, I mean, where in Africa my ancestors it came from. Um, I knew that I knew that I was, you know, of West African descent, but I didn't have the opportunity to say that, you know, I was, you know, Irish or, or British or, you know, German, um, like others. I, all I knew was just that I was just West African or West African descent because of the slave trade. Uh, but uh, now that I uh, have tested with ancestry DNA, uh, I know that I am 35% Nigerian and I'm 25% Ghanaian. And it's just, that was really powerful because honestly, for 400 years, generations of my family hadn't known that beyond my ancestors that were taken and enslaved from Africa. Uh, so that was really powerful for me. And it was something that I was like, wow. And, you know, it was just, I just had an epiphany that, you know, I hadn't really known that about myself. So that was really, it was really powerful uh, and important for me. And as far as my, my family is concerned, I, I realized that I have a lot of family stories that when you research, you really see the strength of your ancestors and how you got to where you are today based on the issues and the, and the strife that your ancestors had overcome in order to get you to where you are today. And, you know, I could share a few stories later on uh, about uh, what I've learned about my ancestors and I would have never known. <laughs> and overall too, I mean, honestly, I've also learned that we as Americans are, so much more connected than what we really think. So often you take things at face value with color, but honestly, you know, we, we all have ancestors that are intertwined <laughs> 200, 250 years ago that, you know, through generations, although we might look different, we still share ancestors. And that was something that was really, uh, that was mind blowing and fascinating because I mean, I, I knew that, you know, from history books, paper, but actually seeing that, you know, seeing the information in my DNA, uh, the history is really embedded in our DNA, the, the history that exists in the textbooks. I mean, understanding that, you know, I have ancestors from Great Britain as well, uh, and Ireland as well. That was really mind-blowing, and it honestly still is mind-blowing. <laughs> and to know that my colonial ancestors, you know, are could be the same colonial ancestors as yours or your listeners and how, you know, and it can also be vice versa as well. 
you might have listeners that may not have known that they had West African DNA uh, over time, you know, in early colonial America, when it was okay to intermarry for a brief period of time, being an indentured servant, a servant, um, you know, that was, that was possible. And, and uh, that story isn't all of us and it's all intertwined. And I think now more than ever, I know that we're, we're divided for the most part. There's been a lot of division in the country in the past two years. And I, I'm impressed with ancestry DNA and 23andMe for shedding the light on our country's history and, ex- and exposing the truth of who we really are. I think that it's really important too. I mean, it's definitely opened a lot of uh, bags and cans and sacks of worms and everything like that. But you know, those worms, they've been there all the time. It's just that they've been playing hide and seek. And so that stuff was going to come out and the ugliness is going to come out and everything like that. And now it's Mm -hmm. a question of how we deal with it. The best thing that we can do is deal with truth as truth. And, um, you know, look it in the eye and, and keep moving. And that's the important thing. It is. It is. I'm really curious, knowing that you are Nigerian and Ghanaian, does that make you want to go there? Um, have you taken uh, up with the whole Jollof rice um, challenge? Uh- <laughs> yes, I, I was. I was. Yeah, and, and you're right. I definitely want to visit visit Nigeria and Ghana after learning, you know, that that's, you know, a good portion of my DNA, my genetic makeup. Uh, and yeah, I did, did play around with, with making jollof rice. and It was very tasty. <laughs> <laughs> it looked good, y'all. I was watching live on Facebook and it looked good. And just for those of you who don't know, there is a big competition as to which country has the definitive jollof rice recipe and so um people get very competitive in a very fun and loving way about it and it's really really funny so (laughs) it 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 was really enjoyable i can tell you that from my experience this is way before dna but in 1982 Mm -hmm. i was i was 17 i was 17 it was after my junior year of high school And we all hopped on a plane, my family and I, and we went over to Ireland. And um, we knew that the family was from Derry, which is Northern Ireland, way up north. And um, we flew into Dublin and we drove and we looped up through Derry and then we flew out of Galway. And we were looking for paper records, which are very hard to find on Catholics from Northern Ireland because a lot of things got destroyed. And in particular, it was unfortunate for my family because the parish church that we were from had been burned. And so the records were gone. But we did get to stand in the ruins of the church where my ancestors, um, gosh, my fourth great-grandparents, I believe, would have been married and... Or was it my fifth? Well, anyway, everybody back from there would have been married, baptized, you name it. And it was, um, I mean, barely as big as a, 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 a tiny apartment in Manhattan. It was a, a very small space. And the roof had been taken off long, long, long since. So it was just a bunch of stones, basically. Um, the thing that was weird that I think everybody needs to have is I remember getting off the airplane. I had bright red hair at that time and blue eyes. 
and very, very, very fair skin. I like to refer to myself as professionally white because I turn purple and throw up in the sun. <laughs> and um, I remember getting off that plane and looking around me and seeing people who looked like me. I mean, like everybody looked like me. It was either jet black hair um, with the blue eyes or it was brown hair with the blue eyes, but it was all the fair skin. And it was so strange because I had, and, and I come from a country filled with white people. So it's not like I'm, you know, a minority or anything. <laughs> Nevertheless, there was a particular kind of sameness there that was fascinating to me and that showed me, wow, I come from here. And then I remember hearing Richard Pryor talk about going to Africa Mm -hmm. and about his experience of getting off the plane and looking like everybody else and having this kind of epiphany, this kind of absolute sunrise of recognition. And I think that everybody deserves to have that because for all that this country is all about blending together and everything like that in ways that are really cool and that's really great, Mm -hmm. um, it is also nice to know where you come from. And um, I sincerely hope, I think that you will, but I sincerely hope that you get to have that, you know, recognition moment and that experience of going back and getting to meet people whether your DNA related to them traceably so or not, to being able to see people and, and walk into a culture and just be like, this is mine. How cool is that? You know, I just think that that's the greatest thing. That's probably the number one gift that DNA gives us because it gives us the ability to walk back there. It does. It does. And I mean, uh, I, I definitely believe that when you're able to, go back to the origin of your, your roots and granted you may, you may have a whole palette, but still, you know, a whole palette of regions that you're from. But even if you just go to one of those regions that having that experience to be able to reconnect with your roots is so, it's so fulfilling, you know, and I definitely want to go to the, uh, the door of no return. And I I know that I'm going to lose it (laughs) when I go there uh, because I, I just thinking about it, think, think, having the thought of going there and seeing the ocean and, and seeing the land behind you, just the power in, in thinking that your ancestor, my ancestor, you know, that they were going to an unknown land. They had no idea about chained leaving their homes behind in over hundreds of years um, here where I, I am, who I am today, and, and just making that full circle that I just know I'm going to lose it. Uh, and I, and I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to just having that full circle moment uh, in, my, in my tree and uh, myself, um, just, just having an experience. I think that, I think that that's going to be an amazing thing. I have a lot of requirements of this government. And one of them is that every African-American gets free DNA testing. Yeah. That's one of my requirements. And the other of my requirements is that everybody 
who is African-American gets to go and go there and Mm -hmm. gets to go and visit the countries that their ancestors were stolen from. And those are things that I think are key. I think that that would be the most powerful uh, statement that our country is acknowledging the past and attempting to make it right. Absolutely. To to make amends and and for us all to move forward. I I completely agree. I I think that we, I think we had some conversation about that too in the past about DNA tests and how, you know, that should be free for people who are descendant of slaves. Yeah. Um, I think there are a lot of reparations, a lot of levels of reparation out there. I mean, mm-hmm. I think education is one. I, th- I think that um, I think that uh, employment is another. I think that all of the things that have been denied people systematically um, for generations, uh, you know, I think those are things that are all on the table. I think that identity is number one. I think that's mm-hmm. very important. Um, exactly. I think that brings me into another question that I wanted to ask you, you know, sure. I think I've picked up some things about what it is that people need from me as a white researcher who on some lines can go back to like, seriously, the year 500. Because yeah. <laughs> after a while, it's like, oh, just go to Wikipedia, see who's, the next, <laughs> you know, whose parents are who. And I'm going back to like some <laughs> Russian prince and his Swedish queen wife in like the year 500 and whatever. Yeah. And, it's, and it's just like, God, this is nuts, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's all been done for me. And that's really easy. Yeah. You know? And, you know, I mean, it's Wikipedia, so you got to take it with a grain of salt. Mm. But pretty yeah. much when you start to get into like the, the you know, the British royalty type thing, you know, that makes a lot, uh, makes it a lot easier. And today being the day of, uh, you know, a British royal wedding would better yes. bring that up. Um, yes. You know, so, so that's pretty easy for me. Um, but when I can do as, as much of my work as possible, based in all of the records that are there that are, you know, made by white people for people, um, that helps me, I think, to be of service to African Americans, to particularly my cousins, who are looking, because we know that there is something called the brick wall, that it is Mm -hmm. basically a big fat wall that is in 1870. It is possible to permeate back past that, um, but it's very, very individual. Um, it depends on who has left names in wills and things like that. Correct. And who actually did have uh, free ancestors of color, um, which is not the most common thing in this country um, right. before the Civil War. Correct. What is it that you find useful when you're working with European American or white? researchers and people that you're related to or people who are somehow in possession of records that can be helpful to you, what is it that you need from them? Sure. Um, Mainly probate records. Probate records are important. I mean, I know that there there are some states that have probate records that are more accessible online than others. Uh, But when I find myself researching uh, my ancestors beyond or before 1870, that's the first item I'm, I'm looking for. And, and, and actually, let me backtrack. Before I get to probate records from uh, my white relatives, uh, what I do and what I try to confirm 
with is uh, I go to the Freedmen's Bureau um, on Family Search. I go through their database. Uh, the Freedmen's Bureau, if, if, if your listeners don't know, essentially was set up uh, by the federal government on uh, Reconstruction uh, as an attempt to manage these now millions of slaves that are now free in the country to ensure that a that they are in fair labor contracts uh, that they are able to have uh, licensed marriages uh, that that that's documented and captured. Um, it, it was really a stepping stone for African Americans during Reconstruction to uh, to start a new life and be included in general American society. Although we know that there were uh, some stumbling blocks along the way. Uh, the important piece with the Freedmen's Bureau records is that it really gave a, uh, a unique perspective into the former enslaved, enslaved person's life in their past. And, and I'll take one branch of my family, for example. My four times great-grandfather, his name was Simon Brown. Uh, he was from Shelby County, uh, Tennessee actually he lived in Shelby County, Tennessee. He was from uh, Richmond, Virginia. Uh, I found a Freedmen's Bureau record, uh, um, an actual bank account record, where the Freedmen's Bureau, uh, they wanted to protect African Americans, providing them a safe place to store their savings. uh, And he set up an account. And uh, for the era of pins and passwords, (laughs) you had to, you were asked questions about your personal life. Uh, and if you could verify those questions and you know, you'd have access to your account and you could prove your identity. Um, so when Simon Brown signed up for his Freedman's bank account, he had to share with, he had to share his uh, age, he had to share his birth location, he had to share who his former enslaved, his, who his former uh, slave master was, um, and he had to share who was he married to, it also gave a general description of his physical features and his wife's physical features. <laughs> so it was actually a wealth of information that I got from the Freedmen's Bureau record. And what it allowed me to do was to prove and confirm from my four times great grandfather who his former slave owner was. Um, so now that I had that information, I can now confidently look through that former slave owner's family tree. Uh, his probate records to understand who he was, to understand how many slaves did he own, what was his real estate uh, property value in 1860, to get an understanding of the size of his plantation. Um, And I took all of that into account. And eventually I was able to determine both with the records from the Freedmen's Bureau uh, and then probate records that, you know, I did find my family being owned by this particular person. Eventually, over time, I did find descendants of the slave owner, and I reached out to them. And whenever I reach out to, whether that be my ancestor's former slave owner's descendants, I'm not, and it's it's awkward because some people might think, oh, you know, they just want to know, or they want to hold me accountable for something that my ancestor did. Some people may know what their ancestor and participated in it at that time. And I'm, I'm, never, I'm never trying to make anyone feel like they need to be held accountable for their ancestors. Mm-hmm. Because what, what they've done in the past is the past. 
I just want to know more to help put my story together. Uh, because honestly, there are times when it's, when it's hurtful that I have to trace my family through probate records. And then I see other family trees that go on like way beyond and, you know, in the 17, 16, 1500s. And that was taken away from me. <laughs> uh, and any, any small tidbits of information, whether that be just general stories uh, that you might have heard, um, or migration patterns is absolutely critical for my research because honestly, beyond 1870, surnames are out the window. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it, it all the, for, for me, tracing my family through probate records, through first names, and understanding uh, the family structure of my former, my family's former slave owners is very critical because more times than not, slaves were actually owned by, they were brought in through marriage uh, as like a dowry. And, you know, you could trace slave, you know, groups, groups that, groups of slaves that were brought in through marriage, groups of slaves that were inherited through parents, groups of slaves that were inherited or shifted around between siblings, knowing all of the family structure of the former slave owner is very critical in my research because what I do is I'm pinpointing where were those people born? Where were their parents born? Where did their children migrate to? Because what I'm going to do is then I'm going to cross-reference my DNA matches with those birth locations. Uh, and, and that's my common theme when I'm researching is location, location, location. Yeah. Uh, the more information that you can share with your African-American cousins or researchers that are attempting to learn more about their family is solely understanding your family's migration patterns, both your direct descendants and any ancillary branches, you know, from your great, great uncles and great, great aunts and where they move to is very critical and important uh, in my research, tracing African-American genealogy. So then I think that one of the lessons that we can walk away with as white researchers, for those listening who are white American researchers, is that shrubbing is the key to being able to participate successfully with an African-American researcher who is then going to come at some point and say, hey, um, you know, I, I need to look at your tree, either we're related or you have, from what I can see of your tree, some access to some family that has some information um, and, and that that is actually, you know, going to be of some service to me. Yeah. Cool. And, and, and another step too, uh, granted, I had the opportunity to research in Richmond, Virginia. My, my job had uh, placed me there for a construction project. I'm in, uh, by day, uh, how I earn my pay <laughs> is through construction. Uh, but uh, when I have free time, I research. And I had the opportunity to go to Virginia, which to me has the most immaculate database and opportunities to search your ancestors than any other place I've researched. Uh, the Library of Virginia is awesome. But what I was able to do was go through the probate records and go through grantors and grantees, and I find patterns of transactions between families. There are times when those transactions are actually people. 
Um, and I use that as a tool to understand relationships because again, more times than not, African-Americans, you know, they, they were treated hands between, you know, two groups of people or two persons or different parties. And uh, what I do is I, I try to compile all of that information about a, what do I know about my, my white families or my former enslaved families, family structure? Where do I know where, you know, the male, how the head of the household was born? Do I know where his parents were born? Do I know his wife's maiden name? Do I know where her parents were born and what her mother's maiden name was and where she was born? Do I know all of the children? Do I know how many children there are, where they were born, where did they migrate to? And then I go through the probate records and then I try to see what are common names of people that either witnessed their probates, probate records, did they were they were they grantors or grantees of this particular family that I'm researching, I'm trying to create the whole picture. And then I'm trying to come up with, I try to come up with a timeline uh, between when those people were born to really put the pieces of the puzzle together. That's an amazingly involved process. It's a process that European Americans don't have to think about. White folks don't have to think this way. All we have to do is just think about going straight. All we have to do is go straight back. Um, we don't ever, ever have the burden of thinking of ourselves as property. And that's stunning. I mean, it's a part of the conversation that I think not enough people have, and that is really at its base level horrifying that my family has property records that are going to show your family's existence. I've been doing this for now 38 years and at base level it still stops me dead yeah and yeah. and i i i think that there are a lot of people out there who who just who maybe haven't gotten that in their bones yet but i think that it's a really important thing for all of us to have in our bones to understand because this is a national truth yes yes and 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 i i encourage listeners to, I mean, it's something that I, I had to grapple with when I first recognized, wow, I'm actually going through a probate record and viewing my family as property next to a chair and a table, you know, but honestly, I, I don't want your listeners to be discouraged for that because honestly, your help and your effort to help your African-American friends or cousins and family connect the dots we're making amends for, for the past today. And we have to realize the context of history at that time. And we just, we just have to understand it, but we're but working together to learn how we're connected as both family and Americans to me is the most important aspect. The main goal that we should all have learning how we're all connected. Is there anything else that you want folks to know about your work or about the work in general to kind of sum this up, to kind of knit this all together neatly? Sure, sure. Um, I, I'd encourage everyone or anyone who hadn't done this yet is to, to definitely take, you know, whether it be Ancestry DNA or 23andMe. Uh, and if you have taken Ancestry DNA or 23andMe, Uploading your DNA to GEDmatch is so important. I can't emphasize it enough. 
because really one can triangulate how clusters of people are connected and you can find a pattern really in African-American genealogy, the, the, the crux of success in finding connections is really finding a common pattern between distant trees. Uh, when I find several clusters of people who have the same five times great grandparent, but they all come from different branches of that base of the tree, lets me know that at some point in time that that's our common ancestor and uploading your DNA to GEDmatch is so critical to my research uh, because I'm able to prove a lot of theories. I have a lot of family members tested and I'm able to see which branch of my tree you're connected with that person and, and connect clusters of people that I've recognized patterns, closer patterns, more like second, third cousin range to maybe a fifth or sixth cousin range with my white European cousins. Uh, and that's able to, that's, uh, that allows me to connect the dots from, you know, my two times great grandparent, knowing that you match, or you share a cluster of matches with my two second and third cousins. Uh, and then I see other clusters of white family trees that we also match with as a whole, second and third cousins. And it, I mean, it's really about researching patterns and jet match uh, after you upload your DNA. Um, understanding and sharing birth locations and migrations uh, never get hung up. And I encourage both my fellow African-American genealogists to not really get hung up on surnames, but really look at the birth locations and migration patterns. And when you can intersect those two, you can begin to connect the dots. So really just sharing that information and knowing uh, and shrubbing your trees uh, mm-hmm. is, is very, is very critical. And, it takes time. You have to be patient. A lot of the information I had found in my tree, I found over over 12 years. And <laughs> uh, some sometimes I find information within a few months. There are times when I break a brick wall over three years. I have contacts with cousins through GEDmatch and Ancestry DNA and 23andMe that I've been working with since 2015, 2016. And we're, we're nudging chip by chip <laughs> of how we're connected and we're, and we're honing in on our connections, but it's not overnight. You're never going to find something instantly, but as long as you understand you have to be patient and that you have to weed down several theories after you narrow down how you might, how you may be related, uh, you just have to be patient and eventually your ancestor, your common ancestor will come to light and you'll be able to have success and, and, uh, helping your African-Americans or yourself in your own research. Awesome. Now, I do have a bonus round question for you. And I appreciate you, Christopher. I appreciate you taking some time with us today because, um, you know, there are plenty of things that you could do of a Saturday. And, um, and I appreciate you being open and honest today, um, talking about all the things that, that we did. Is there anything else that you uh, had thought about since I, I talked with you ahead of time that you wanted to say today? Sure. Actually, um, there were a lot of stories. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, 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 uh, there, there's so many. I mean, it goes back to uh, my grandfather and, and starting off in 2006, you know, with discovering myself and my ancestors' stories. And there were so many stories that I had that I hadn't known that really the title of your podcast from paper to people 
honestly, that's that's really what I did with understanding these people who were, you know, on names and census records. Honestly, I found records that brought them to life. Found divorce record from my third great grandmother in 1906 uh, that divorced my third time's great grandfather uh, because he uh, she endured domestic violence. Um, wow. And and how she took care of my second time's great grandfather and his siblings. You know, she fell sick. He was drunk. He would go to the furnace field and uh, have affairs with other women in the furnace field <laughs> in Tennessee. And um, I mean, it really just brought her to life and him to life. Um, and seeing her resolve to be able to take care of her children and herself, being able to provide a way for my great great grandfather to work in the steel mills in Tennessee and eventually moved to Gary, Indiana in 1918, uh, which is a hundred years ago this year, which we're having a family reunion for celebrating that. Uh, And I mean, those, those stories, understanding that my four times great grandfather and my third times great grandfather, his uh, son-in-law, which is my third times great grandfather, they fought a civil war in the same infantry in Arkansas. And Gosh, I've I learned that I am a sixth cousin to Faye Dunaway. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Um, I also learned that my five times great grandfather was a close relative to John Chisholm, who was responsible for capturing Billy the Kid. <laughs> oh, how cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There are so many stories, really, where I, you know, I was able to bring my ancestors and relatives to life. And I think that your podcast is, is great to help inspire people to, to do that and, and, the, and the tools to be able to make that happen both for themselves and to help other people like myself buy more of their information, more of their uh, history uh, of our shared common ancestors or ancestors that were intertwined through relationships I just encourage everyone to be patient and just be persistent. You'll find what you're looking for at some point in time. (laughs) 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 I I hate to be vague, but I I wish I could give you a deadline (laughs) or a due date when you you find that ancestor. But honestly, I think that's what keeps us all going, right? Is that you have a puzzle and you're trying to solve it. And you're looking at it in different ways and different angles. And then when you find that person or that ancestor, it's so satisfying. And it's, you know, with some, you get some kind of endorphins, you know, that's are released. And then you're even more addicted to <laughs> finding more ancestors. And I think that that's what, what keeps us going, regardless of how many brick walls we may have. I think that is the most exciting part is that you, there's always information that you're going to find that you hadn't known before. Uh, with having a brick wall, and that's what keeps you keeps you moving. Thanks so much again to Christopher, and thanks to you all for listening to our first ever interview. If you podcast and you want original theme music like mine, email my good friend Kurt Brady at curtisbrady at yahoo.com. Tell him I sent you. Rock, blues, country, folk, jazz, you name it, he can do it. If you have a concept or a music sample, he can work with it. He writes, plays, and records. We have a new place to hang out. 
In case you hadn't heard, meet me at facebook.com slash groups slash from paper to people. It's a place to ask and answer questions, meet others, and build a working research community. Go there for exclusive tips, links, and content. It's growing daily, and we're there for mutual support. Otherwise, I'm in the usual places at the newly redesigned AncestorsAliveGenealogy.com, on the Ancestors Alive Genealogy Facebook page, and at the Ancestors Alive Genealogy from Paper to People YouTube channel. Follow me on Twitter at Ancestors Alive and on Instagram at Ancestors Alive Genealogy. If you have an idea or a question for the mailbag, you can contact me in the Facebook group or at Ancestors Alive Genealogy at gmail.com. And please, if you find value in this podcast, you can support it in two ways. Rate it and review it on iTunes or become a sustaining financial supporter at patreon.com slash ancestors alive at any of seven levels ranging from $1.25 per month, including prizes. You can also become a one-time supporter on the website using PayPal. I need those positive reviews and that financial support to keep this virtual classroom going. Have a great week. Do your research. Don't be a Jeffrey. Keep building community. And above all, Expect surprises.